Ferguson, more violence overnight, dozens of people arrested as those protests got out of control again. Another police car set on fire. And I sat down with the man in the middle of it all, Officer Darren Wilson, telling his side of the story for the first time. I used my door to try and push him back and yell at him to get back. And again, he just pushed the door shut and just stares at me. And as I look back at him, all of a sudden, punches start flying. He, he threw the first punch? Yes. He threw the first one and hit me in the uh, left side of my face. I just know there was a barrage of swinging and grabbing and pulling for about 10 seconds. At some point, he was actually in the car physically. Like, he had ducked his head and came into the vehicle with me. Where's your gun at that point? I keep it on my right hip. Mm-hmm. I take it out, and I come up, I point it at him. And when I said I said, get back, or I'm going to shoot you. And then his response, immediately, he grabbed the top of my gun. And when he grabbed it, he said, you're too much of a to shoot me. And while he's doing that, I can feel his hand trying to come over my hand and get inside the trigger guard and try and shoot me with my own gun. Wilson got off two shots in the car before Brown started to run. And after I fired that shot, I look over. He's running. It went off that time. It did go off that time. He starts to run, and I see the dust cloud behind him. And I'm like, okay, I missed. That was the round didn't hit him. Then I go to exit my car. And when I'm getting out, I use my walkie, and I say, shots fired, send more cars. And I start chasing after Michael Brown. You described Michael Brown when you saw him in that moment in the car as a demon. Do you know where that word came from? Do you know, what were you seeing at that moment? It was just such a high level of intensity and aggression and anger that it was almost unfathomable to even see it. Like, how was this happening? Like, it was shock. And you're positive. You're positive you'd have that exact same reaction if you were white. Yes. Some of the witnesses have said they thought you were out of control, that somehow you had snapped. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be incorrect. There was never, the only emotion I'd ever felt was fear, and then it was survival and training. We know from the autopsy reports that uh, no shots went into Michael Brown from the back. Hmm? Did you fire any shots when he was running away? No. You only fired to his front? Correct. As you know, some of the eyewitnesses have said, when at that moment he turned around, he turned around and put his hands up. That would be incorrect. incorrect. No way? No way. Some witnesses have also said that they actually saw you stand over him That'd and shoot incorrect. him on top of his head. That would be incorrect. And he's down now. Yes. You know he's dead? Yes. You know, they tell you afterwards, you know, there's going to be times you don't remember where it's fast, sometimes where it's slow. Well, that was the point of, like, the slow motion for me. And I saw the face that he had go blank. His, everything was just blank. And I knew immediately that he had passed. And what did you think? I need help. You know, I got back on the radio and I said, uh, send a supervisor in every car we have. You'd never even shot your gun before, and now a man is dead. Mm-hmm. Does that put you in shock? What is it, you know, what's going through your mind at that point? What are you feeling at that point? Shock would be a good way to describe it. And there's not a cop out there who goes out there and like, you know, I'm going to use my gun today. No one wants to. No one ever wants to do that. And it just happened, and it happened in a minute. The Brown family came out with a statement. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Unfilter 124, one of these episodes where we kind of have a rather heavy topic today, and uh, there's a lot to cover. Maybe not uh, a topic we would elect to cover, necessarily, but it is in the news this week, Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's currently still making quite a scene right now, so there's a lot to get into today's episode of Unfilter. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Ferguson stuff and uh, cover some of the riot stuff, cover some of the news around it, and then we have uh, some other stuff we'll be getting into, so a lot to cover in today's episode. Absolutely. 
One thing that jumped out at me with that ABC interview, before we go too far, yeah, uh, it surprised me. Uh, you know, as somebody who edits video, I can I can usually start to pick up like when they're editing cut points, cut points. You know, you can you can tell, uh, and they do a good job of it for sure. But one thing that really surprised me about the ABC interview was that depending on when you watched it aired on ABC, you actually saw different answers to the so, same questions. I'm going to play. I'm roughly. I've just I've jumped ahead in the file a little bit. This is so what we watched was what aired on the morning show. All right, so now, on Good Morning America. Right. Now we're going to watch what aired on Nightline. Okay. And I want you to notice the difference in his answer about what happened after Brown was shot. Okay? Okay. So I'm going to play this. It's, it might not be in the, quite the right spot, but you'll you'll pick up on the thread of the conversation. There's a second round of shots. He gets to about 8 to 10 feet, and as he does that, he kind of starts to lean forward like he's going to tackle me. And 8 to 10 feet is... Close. I mean, if he's going to tackle me, he's going to tackle me at that point. And I looked down my barrel of my gun and I fired, and what I saw was his head, and that's where it went. Some witnesses have also said that they actually saw you stand over him and shoot in the top of his head. That'd be incorrect. And he's down now. Yes. All right. So this is really where it starts to deviate. You know he's dead. Yes. Whenever I had actually. Do you remember what he said last time to that? He said time slowed down. Remember that was right, his answer. Right. They, t- they teach and, you that and, time slows down. And, and either goes fast or it goes slow. Yeah, and yeah. then like he like the face. Right. He talked about the face. Seeing that bullet go into his head, and I actually saw that, and I saw the face that he had go blank. Yeah. His everything was just blank. And when he landed, he had fell face first and actually slid this on part his was face cut out. in mm-hmm. the upper body. And as he did that, his feet had come up in the air from all the momentum he had from running at me. And then when it came to rest, his feet then collapsed. And I knew immediately that he had passed. And when you look back, is there anything you could have done differently that would have prevented that killing from taking place? No. Nothing? No. So isn't it interesting how it, depending on when, and there's a third version in the overtime folder where he answers the question differently a third time. Isn't that a weird thing to edit? Well. Is it to, what do you think, Chase? What's your... Well, there's a couple of things, and I always look at this from the TV angle, so right. to speak. Yep, yep. So first off, you got to look at your audience. So you know, mon- you know, morning news show, Good Morning America. You may have kids watching. Yeah, you don't want to do the sliding the face on the pavement, right? So yeah. you're going to probably pull that stuff. Also, yeah. Nightline is a little bit of a longer form news show. They could dedicate a lot more time. And you think about it, like it's a major exclusive. So, oh, yeah. uh, Anderson Cooper, personally, so. This, okay, I got to back up. Sorry to keep doing this, but I got to. So right. the media has a off the record chat, right, where they get together, they sit down with Darren Wilson, and they have an off the record chat, which is bullshit in a story this big that journalists have off the record chats to begin with. Screw that. But then, second of all, in these meetings, all of the different this might be why it was off the record. The different news agencies, like the big stars, like Anderson Cooper, goes up to Wilson and says, "I'd love to interview on the show." We'll write you a check. Come on. And then then, then, then Brian Williams, Williams goes, like, all the big guys go up to him and offer him money. And ABC apparently offered him the most money. And so he did the exclusive with ABC. So they're taking this and they're stretching it out. And they're saying, tune in tonight to Nightline for new details in our interview with 
Yeah, right. Darren Wilson, right. And so maybe that's another reason they do it, so that way they can add new stuff every time you watch it. Well, the payment came from the entertainment division. It didn't come from the news division, yeah. because when it was inserted into Good Morning America, it wasn't really technically the news segments. Don't you, you know? think it's interesting, though, that they can... I mean, this is pretty historically significant. Yeah. To be to be screwing with it like this is not journalism. It's You're right, it's entertainment. No, it's it's entertainment. It's it's about ratings, and it's a, it's about the numbers. You know, It's about getting the reporters on the ground. It fuels conspiracy and, theories, though. Oh, when well, you see, by far. Yeah, and that's that's what bothers me about it, is it, it clouds the public information, and it fuels conspiracy theories. Well, there's... And I know we're going to get into this, but there's so much about how even the order and how the events came down really fed into that conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we, we should get into some of the some of his testimony, some of the uh, eyewitness reports. Uh, so let's start with the uh, no indictment, and uh, we'll work out from there. The announcement on the grand jury decision. Now, this was a live capture from RT America's live stream. And uh, I just want to play. A, it just did not start well. I, I was watching this live with the rest of the internet, and when the pre- I'm just going to play the first couple of minutes of this guy's press conference because okay. it just started with such a blinding. Clayton, I mean, thanks for your patience. I'm late getting up here, so um, I have a statement uh, at the very beginning here, and then we'll uh, be happy to, to answer some questions when we're finished with that. Yeah, he got. I was a little late getting up here. Just the just the timing of the press conference was extremely weird, and they kept pushing it back. Which was no good. I, I I have severe questions as far as first off, they knew what they were going to announce. Yeah. Okay. They knew it was actually starting to leak out, right. like uh, USA Weekly or somebody got it early. Yeah. And why you would make an announcement like this in the evening, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then to start with how he started. But first and, and foremost, I'd like to again extend my deepest sympathies to the family of Michael Brown. As I've said in the past, I know uh, that regardless of the circumstances here, they lost a loved one to violence. And I know that the pain that accompanies such a loss knows no bounds. On August 9th, Michael Brown was shot and killed by police officer Darren Wilson. Within minutes, various accounts of the incident began appearing on social media, accounts filled with speculation and little, if any, solid, accurate information. Almost immediately, neighbors began gathering and anger began growing because of the various descriptions of what had happened and because of the underlying tension between the police department and a significant part of the neighborhood. The St. Louis County Police conducted an extensive investigation at the crime scene, at times under very trying circumstances, interrupted at least once by random gunfire. Beginning that day and continuing for the next three months, Along with uh, they, along with the agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation at the direction of Attorney General Eric Holder, located numerous individuals and gathered additional evidence and information. Fully aware of the unfounded but growing concern in some parts of our community that the investigation and review of this tragic death might not be full and fair, I decided immediately that all of the physical evidence gathered all people claiming to have witnessed any part or all of the shooting and any and all other related matters would be presented to the grand jury. And now it was made public, which is also kind of unusual. Well, he not only well, not unusual to the fact that, you know, those kind of documents are usually pushed out anyway from a grand jury. But what makes the part unusual? Is Nobody requested it. It's yeah, surprising. And it's and it's all it's right. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like over 3000 pages of right. the stuff. Yep. Uh, so. 
There is. So he comes out. Like, he starts immediately throwing, which the internet just did not respond well to. And I didn't actually find that to be a very valid criticism. Uh, yeah, there's always the, uh, the, uh, the social jerking going online. But there was also people posting videos and pictures. Uh, and, and, and it honestly raises some questions because there were some eyewitness accounts that just didn't quite match up with some of the findings. Who saw what and when began to trickle out first from Michael Brown's friend Dorian Johnson? who was with Brown at Officer Darren Wilson's car when the shooting started. Johnson always said Wilson was the aggressor. He grabbed onto my friend Big Mike's throat, and he's trying to uh, pull him in a vehicle. And my friend Big Mike uh, very angrily is trying to pull away from the uh, officer. Was Brown trying to pull away, or was he going for the officer's gun? Johnson had told CNN Brown never made a play for the officer's gun, but Officer Wilson testified that Brown forced himself inside the car, telling him, get back or I'm going to shoot you. Wilson said Brown immediately grabbed his gun and said, quote, you are too much of a pussy to shoot me. Wilson told the jury he'd been punched twice by Brown. Dorian Johnson had simply called it an altercation. But these photos given to the jury show Officer Wilson with red bruising on his face and scratches along his hairline. We now have Officer Wilson's medical records, too, which show he suffered a facial contusion resulting from assault by bodily force. Also in dispute, what happened after the two men left Officer Wilson's car? This eyewitness had said that the officer fired on Brown while Brown was facing away from him. That is when he turned around with his arms up and got shot down multiple more times. Dorian Johnson backed up that claim. And I definitely saw his hands go up. Even these two contractors who caught the final moments of the shooting said they, too, saw Brown's hands up. This is actually um, the most convincing uh, eyewitnesses because they, there's – watch this guy. Watch the man in the pink shirt gesture. And the subtitle says, man, he was going like this, and he puts his arms up in the air. Right? That – Yeah. Again, Officer Wilson's testimony, along with at least three other witnesses, disputes that. The officer told jurors Brown's hand was in his waistband and he was charging Wilson. In other words, he didn't have his hands up, indicating surrender. He said Brown made a grunting sound, then <laughs> took a step to start running toward him. A grunting sound like maybe he'd been shot? The key question, was Brown charging the officer? These same two eyewitnesses have always said no. In no time did I see him move towards that police officer. He may have taken one centimeter of a step forward before he was gunned down. He turned around with his hands up, uh, beginning to tell the officer that he was unarmed and to tell him to stop shooting. But new testimony from witness number 10 supports Wilson's claims. He started charging towards the police officer, the witness told the jury. Several witnesses had also said they never heard Officer Wilson tell Brown to stop. But the officer insisted to the jury that he did, twice. After months of back and forth, it seems one of the few facts not in dispute is that just 90 seconds from the moment Officer Wilson and Michael Brown first met, Brown was dead. That's, in that's insane. So uh, we're getting now we're getting into some of the he said, she said stuff of this. Uh, and I, I, I think it's, it's, it's very sad that there's been a loss of life. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I and I, I think that anybody who thinks this is about a uh, a race war in Ferguson uh, hasn't been paying attention to the fact that there are protests going on all over the place. There are protests planned in 37 states in the United States after the grand jury's verdict in the Michael Brown shooting. 
Look at that map. Now, this is even before the announcement was made. The media's running this. They're already talking about this. They're showing the map before an announcement's even been made. Of course, the people had time to assemble since the announcement was so damn late. Look at that map. Well, but it's not just that, though, Chris. Remember, leading up to it, we were hearing about the buildup of National Guard units. We yep. were hearing yep. Yep. about businesses that were shoring up stuff. Yep. Yep. Because everybody obviously thought of a negative or a uh, a not a not to prosecute decision, yep. sort of so to speak. But it, but it's one of those things where I don't remember this ever being spun up in any other case like this before. I really don't remember. You know, when a decision was handed down in the Rodney King situation, which, you know, obviously a lot of people are making correlations to, I don't remember of people planning on demonstrations in place. I mean, this was also back in the day where there wasn't much of a big 24-hour news cycle. I know there was a little bit, but not too much. Yeah, although I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't put it too, I mean, the news, I think, it really, really played a role in uh, in spinning all this up. In fact, if you look at some of the some oh, yeah. of the videos of protests, there's almost as many reporters there as there are actual protesters. It's yeah. it's kind of insane. Yeah. Um, in fact, in some in some areas, there were so many news cameras they were actually providing ambient light because there's so many lights on cameras down there. Wow. Uh, but if you go back a little bit in history, um, you know, like that, back to Martin Luther King's time and stuff like that, there's what there was a shit ton of violent riots. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it's it isn't it isn't like an it's not it's not a brand new thing. Night, Miguel Marquez is in New York, and Miguel, people are out early, uh, and there are a lot of them. Uh, there are a lot of them, and there are separate groups tonight. That spark that was sparked off in Ferguson is now burning here in New York City. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. So it's in New York City. It was happening in Seattle. In fact, uh, down in, in Seattle, there was even, they shut down the way. And uh, some of the protesters are holding up their hands or telling them to stay in place, or I would think they're telling them to move back. And, and at some point, they're going to have to get those people out of there um, so that they can reopen the road. Because right now, and I'm not sure if we can take the oh. DOT camera, right now the uh, traffic is just backing way up. Um, all the way down the road. Um, that could be somebody that tossed something off the bridge down at police there, or off the top of the uh, road like. down at the police. You saw them move back. And so you're going to see a pretty swift response here. <laughs> yeah, so there was protests everywhere. So uh, it's not about one person being killed. It's not about uh, black versus white. I, I mean, it is about that, but it's 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 something that I think has gone much, much bigger than that. I think it's, I think, and it, unfortunately... I, I, it was like a powder keg. It was ready to go, and and it started with peaceful protests. Uh, quickly, before we get to break, uh, Van Jones, I want to say that the, you know, people have been asking me, and I don't know if they're asking you, why don't we hear, we want to hear more from the protesters. So I want to play this clip. It's a little long. This is There's a lot of stuff going on. I don't know. Did you see any of Don Lemon stuff during all of this? Uh, I heard that. He got he, tear gassed, and yeah, it was, yeah. he was saying stupid stuff, and it was great. But listen, uh, this is – we're going to go back in time. We're in the Wayback Machine. This is in the heat of the moment. And if you're watching this at this point, it's fairly peaceful, and you can see when things start to change. I want to hear more from the protesters. And what I tried to explain to them is if you look at these pictures here, this is Ferguson, Missouri. Many times the protesters would yell and scream, but they don't want to actually <laughs> come on camera and talk. And, and, and as, I can't as, tell as, you yeah. how many times you would actually invite someone over and try to get them on, and the minute the, the, the camera, they would run away. They, this, this, you're seeing a generation, I think, on a knife's edge between right. violence and nonviolence. Yeah. And, 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 and I hope that the tug of war 
uh, uh, wins out. It yeah. was so so sad to see those beautiful kids out there doing it the right way. Yeah. And then all it took is one group of right. knuckleheads to knock them off. Uh, the and, and, and and the person who we were talking about that the reason I brought it up is because of Jason Carroll. And Jason Carroll is back out there now. We're going to go live to him. And of course, Jason, the same thing. We try to get people to come over and talk. Not at this point, the protesters, for the most part, they're staying out of the streets. They're staying to the sidewalks. All yeah. of them want to talk. And many people just want to just you know they're just upset and they just vent. But Jason Carroll back out in the streets. Jason, uh, what's going on now? Where you are? Well, we just heard an announcement from St. Louis County Police. They've told the, those who are still out here that if they continue to remain here, they will be arrested. And at that point, those members of the police department moved across the street, started making arrests, started to tell the people here, it is time to go. And if you do not go, you'll be, you will be arrested. And so the crowd has started to disperse. Uh, it seems as though, at least at this point, it seems to take it seems to have taken some of the tension out of the situation. Surprisingly, uh, still a tense situation, uh, but not as bad as what we saw just before. So, Don, once again, they are moving in. They are telling this crowd out here: if you do not leave, you will be arrested. We're waiting for the announcement to see what, in terms of what happens next. But then, at that point, some of the protesters, demonstrators, I don't know if you can make it out from our camera position here, moved up into a small hill up there, just not too far from where we are now. Here comes the announcement again. You need to return to your vehicles, and we need to leave this area now. There, you just heard the announcement again. That announcement coming there, you can see from the vehicle there. So what do you suppose happens when, when, when the police come and do this? Well, you, you got some people that obviously will go. Yeah. They're the, like, okay. The mild-mannered people who don't want to get in trouble leave. Right. And who remains behind? The rambunctious people who wanting want to, to fight, start right? and stir the pot. Right. People who are pissed off. People are upset. And why are they pissed off? Why are they upset? Why is this not just about Michael Brown? Moving toward Times Square, the very heart of the city. For this crowd, this will probably be a break point. They've been at it for four hours. Uh, a lot of folks are tired. They are, are worn out, but still uh, expressing their anger at what happened in Ferguson. Uh, and it, many will probably leave after Times Square, but my guess is many will stay, as happened last night. And then they mix it up with the police here to, to some extent. Uh, several different protests going on across New York City all at the same time. Several different protests going across. Now, Chase, uh, was Michael Brown shot in uh, New York City, Chase? No. Oh. Clearly a coordinated uh, effort. Coordinated by who? By by protesters here and organizers to take back their streets, as they say, so that they can prove to to the officials who it is that is in charge of this country and what they want. Uh, They want greater justice. They want to stop uh, police shootings. And people are taking to the streets, voting with their feet in this case, uh, moving now to Times Square by the hundreds uh, to, to continue their protest. The big question is, where will they go from there? Now, I don't necessarily condone violence, but I'm starting to understand maybe why uh, why people are doing this. I'm starting to, now when I'm starting to watch this coverage, I'm starting to get a little bit of a picture in my head. And it has something to do with something we talk about all the time. But I want to play one more clip before we get into that. All across this country. Well, I think it's a watershed moment for a generation of young people who are trying to figure out how to make a difference. You have a generation, especially of young African-Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, who are really crushed between street violence on the one hand and police violence on the other. That, that is their dilemma, and they have not been able to figure out how to solve either problem. So you see this, this frustration. Now you see this generation 
on a nice edge between and violent we see, and nonviolent. We see an arrest, another arrest an, happening. An, another another happening arrest. There. And that, when, when the arrest started, when, 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 that, when, that, when the arrest started, but when you saw the torching of the police car, you yeah. were like, darn it, that darn it, why so is that? What is that? Because you saw the beauty done of this generation. Young people across the country marching peacefully, expressing themselves, obviously spirited, but being constructive, and then they, all of them, thousands of them across the country, get knocked off the air because a couple of people go and burn a police car. And this generation is going to have to make a decision. Are, is, are, are you going to let these kinds of, of, of feel-good, horrible tactics divert the country from the conversation they want to have? Yeah, I want to stop right there because that's a great point, right? Now the damn media is talking about race wars. The damn media is talking about black versus white, when in reality it is, it is felt the strongest and the most bluntly in the black community and any minority community. Mm-hmm. But the, re- the situation, if you look at the, the demos of all of the protests, yeah. a lot of them were white, Chase. And the reason is, is because you don't make a difference by voting. Voting does fucking shit, right? right. You, can't, you can't pay off the politicians. They're already bought for it. You can't vote. You can't do anything. You're powerless. You're constantly getting crushed by a police state. We're having our rights trampled on constantly. The Constitution has been shredded. The NSA is watching everything we do. And police are killing kids. Literally, they are killing kids and there's nothing people can do about it. And they are pissed as hell. About six meters away from the playground where 12-year-old Tamir Rice was playing on Saturday, a makeshift vigil has been created honoring the unarmed child who was shot dead by Cleveland police. According to reports, the African-American boy was playing with a toy BB gun when officers, two of them, responded to the scene. One cop fired two shots at Tamir, one hitting his stomach after the child allegedly refused to drop his toy gun and put his arms up in the air. The death of another unarmed black citizen, in this case a child, ignited protests on the streets of Cleveland and New York City Monday. This has just happened this week. But, this happens my all question, the time. My question here, though, is why do they have to even mention the race of the kid? That is obviously the media's narrative. And it is, uh, but also you look at the stats, right? I mean, it is way more. No, I under I understand yeah. that. I understand, but that, that feeds into mm-hmm. uh, the arguments on both sides. Do you remember after the Snowden leaks what they focused on instead of the leaks? They focused on the girlfriend, right? Oh, I remember that, yeah. Right. It's the same thing. It's it's something real legitimate has happened that you cannot cover up, so you change what people talk about, right? And instead of talking about A look over the, here moment. the yeah. unbelievably historic inequality, like in, historic inequality, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that 1% thing is no joke, right? You, the obvious overreach of the police, the militarization of the police, and the fact that the people, the populace, is absolutely powerless to do anything about it. I kind of wish I could have gone down to these protests. I wouldn't have gotten violent. I, sma- I wouldn't have smashed windows. But it, but it if, is like at some point we have to send some kind of message. But if that's the case, why are you know protesters, if they're out there, right. okay, and, they're, and they, you know, they're, they're upset because of all those inequalities that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and there's a reporter down there saying, hey, you know, why, are you, why are you down here? Why are you pro- here we are in Seattle 
this thing is happening in Ferguson. Why are you protesting? And they refuse the answer. They refuse to talk about it. They refuse to bring it up. It only makes them look terrible. Yeah. And that they're only in there to a damaged property and to an, uh, incite a right. riot. They don't well, talk about these things. Right. And, and, you know, to be fair, it's a minority that is doing the damaging. And there's more people that are pre- peacefully protesting. But I agree. And the but you thing never is, hear though, what they're protesting. The they thing don't talk is, about is it. When you're at this point, you're angry. You know, the media is part of the problem. Right. You're going to go talk to part of the problem? They already have their narrative, right? They already have it. In fact, um, I was watching live, and uh, CNN's on the street, Jake Tapper. You know, do you remember the last time during the Ferguson protest, Jake Tapper was on the streets, and he was like, why are we doing this? Like, why is the national... Remember how Jake Tapper yeah, like, well, had his yeah, moment well, of humanity? Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, there was military yeah. weapons, and yeah. there were police, but they're wearing camo. So, and- so Jake Tapper's down. I, I don't have a clip of this, because I was watching, just watching on the TV. He's down, he's down on the street, and... Uh, uh, somebody starts screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God. So Jake Tapper walks across the street and says, what's wrong? And she says, that lady just had a heart attack, and those four guys were carrying her down the street, you know, on legs and arms, and the cops just shot a tear gas canister landed on the lady having a heart attack. And then this is like, this is like, this is all happening within like 20 seconds, and you're, this is on live television. It's unbelievable, and pretty soon, within seconds, you see Jake holding his finger to his ear and says, uh, he says uh, my producers are telling me it's not tear gas. Like, how the fuck would people back up at CNN know if it's tear, tear gas or they not, right? They wouldn't know. They and then, wouldn't they, know. then they cut away, but they didn't have anything to cut to, so they cut to Don Lemon. Don Lemon wasn't ready to go because he'd just been tear gassed, and he's still coughing. He's like, I need an IFB! I need an IFB! I need an IFB! And then they just cut everybody off and just went to, like, uh, just some aerial oh, footage. Geez. And so, like, the, the, this, the media is part of the problem. Oh, so if absolutely. I'm an angry protester <laughs> who my entire life I have been disadvantaged by the system, I'm not going to go talk to the system. Right. I mean, it, you're right. Logically, it makes the most sense. But the state of mind they're in, they're part of the problem. And the thing is, is it, it, to me, it almost, I'm, not, I'm not justifying the violence, but I can say I totally understand it because yeah. it's the only option they feel they have but left. But how do they come out to the other side of this to actually make a difference instead of having those few bad apples yeah. make it all worse? It seems like it would make it worse. It seems like the police will can ramp up their mil- militarization. They're going to ramp up their investments in tear gas. They're going to ramp up their riot Well, gear, and, right? and it's not just the, 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 the police you have to worry about, the local fa- you know, facilities. You also have to worry about the federal government stepping up stuff, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've all heard those conspiracy, you know, FEMA camps and all. They're going to put everybody in trailers. and Well, they did send up the National Guard to protect the businesses and cops, But right? they never did. They, they didn't really protect anything. Well, they were protecting the cops, but yeah. They didn't protect almost anything. Not very anything. well. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. good. I mean, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want them to get very violent. But, right, yeah. Uh, and you're right. And it seems like the message hasn't been received even all the way at the top. Obama is acknowledging the need to improve race relations in the United States. During an immigration speech in Chicago Tuesday, the president outlined steps he will take in response to Michael Brown's death. To those who think that uh, what happened in Ferguson is an excuse for violence, I do not have any sympathy for that. I I have no sympathy at all for for destroying your own communities. And that I completely agree with. Yeah. like there was uh, the media is f- focused in on a gal. She had a uh, fashion store for 29 years and it's been destroyed. And she's never going to rebuild. It's gone. But for the overwhelming majority of people who just feel frustrated and pained because they get a sense that maybe some communities aren't treated fairly or some individuals aren't seen as worthy as others, I, I understand that. And I want to work with you, and I want to move forward. Oh, I'm sure you do. You. Yeah. 
The president tapped Attorney General Eric Holder to form a group to begin race discussions. Maybe Eric Holder could smuggle guns uh, to people. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, while we're on the topic of the media and how they're part of the problem, I want to play this package from ABC, and it is dripping with racism. Few signs of cooling off here in the boiling pot that is Ferguson, Missouri. It seems Officer Darren Wilson's first public comments have done little to ease tensions here. In fact, for some, they made matters worse. And that's when he turned and said, what the can I do about it? Almost from the moment Officer Darren Wilson opened his mouth, the reaction here was strong. He didn't seem remorseful. I didn't hear him apologize one time. Patrons at this St. Louis barbershop. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. They're at a barbershop. Out of all of the places they could have gone, restaurants, laundromats, they go to a barbershop. That's stereotypical racism. All black people go to barbershops. Right there. Just setting it there. The producers that decided that, that's racist. Doubting his version of that deadly encounter with Michael Brown. I don't believe that. I don't believe what he's saying. How do you think your friends will react if they saw They know he was lying. Everybody in the community knows he's lying. Jalen is an 18-year-old college freshman. You ever been stopped by the police? Yeah, I have been stopped by the police plenty of times. Abused, um, verbally assaulted by the police. Show of hands if you've ever been stopped by the police, treated unfairly by the police. <laughs> oh, oh, two hands up. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, I got both feet up. Two hands and two feet. <laughs> These men are voicing frustration, but today around the country, from Ferguson to New York to Oakland to Boston, people are demonstrating it. Last night, Michael Brown's mother erupted in tears. After the announcement, the grand jury did not indict the man who killed her son. We object publicly and loudly. There's uh, Al Sharpton. Yep. As we can on behalf of Michael Brown Jr.'s family that this process is broken. But there are deep and bitter emotions on both sides. Supporters of Officer Wilson interrupted a Brown family press conference today. Fighting broke out. This is an interesting thing. It hasn't been covered very much, but there is uh, there is another side to this. They're obviously not as uh, big, but there is a, a pro-Officer Wilson group who has been going around and attacking some of the people who have been uh, big advocates. Attacking of with Brown. words or just attacking physically? Uh, there's a sto- I, I have a story in the show notes. They actually burned down uh, Michael Brown's uh, church. So Michael Brown Sr. intervened. See, that's, that's, I don't want to hear that. As for the barbershop tonight, a metaphor of sorts for America. Yes, millions watched Officer Wilson, but what you heard may well have been colored by oh. the life you've lived. You hear that? Do you hear this racist crap dude in a barbershop and their life has been colored? Yes, millions watched Officer Wilson. But what you heard may well have been colored by the life you've lived. Because I'm a father myself, when you start losing your kids behind, it, it, it really you know, tears into your soul. And you want, you want, you want something to happen. See, it, it, you there's can, so much, you know. Right? right? Isn't this so infuriating to see them do this? See, here's the thing. First off, uh, yeah, we're white. Chris and I are white guys. Uh, now right? you told him my secret. <laughs> but here, here's, you know, here's the thing. I... I, I uh, one of my best friends, black, African American, whatever label you want to put on it. I, I try not to do any labels. I don't. It, it's one of those things that was kind of ingrained with me in, in growing up. I, I I grew up on a dairy farm with all a lot of Latinos. Uh, I had black friends, uh, uh, Native American friends in high school. I mean, it's just to me, race is nothing. Hmm. Um, I, I was very very fortunate to live in an area where we didn't run into that sort of thing. Um, 
when I see this this case and how everything broke down, and how people are saying, well, you know, uh, I you know I, I don't believe the, the cop. You know, he shot him because he's black. Uh, you know, no one's everyone. There, there's stories. People are saying that. Well, you know, he didn't deserve to get shot. Yet, you know, he just strong armed it, and there was a robbery. Uh, that was confirmed via videotape. That the family is saying, you know, I can't believe that they didn't indict indict the officer uh, because because of what? Because I mean, look at the case. Look at the actual uh, 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 what's the the word again? The, the, the deposition deposition from the grand jury, three thousand pages, and some of the uh, witness accounts that we heard earlier in the show where people said, "Oh yeah, he had his hands up," and he was uh, when they were under grand jury oath. Yeah. Change their stories. Yeah, uh, I. I uh, why don't we get into that? So this this clip will set some of that up. This this is a CNN clip uh, that's still in the heat of the moment. So it's a, it's a little long because all the stuff is in the in the heat of the moment. But you can hear these two CNN anchors arguing over some of the nuances and quote unquote facts of the case. Mark, I know you've gone through all the documents all day long, or even all night long. You challenge anyone to find something the forensics that's not matched by Officer Wilson's account of what happened, right? And that's what's most, you know, intriguing to me, and I think dispositive in a case like this. While Wilson may well have filled in some of this lack of memory with information, when we look at the forensics, it is in line with what Wilson said. And one of the most compelling parts of it that we've talked about a bit before with you, Anderson, is we now know that the forensic support that Mike Brown came back about 21, 22 feet towards um, Darren Wilson and what was that charging, walking, surrendering, staggering? I don't know. And the other thing that we do know is that the shell casings were found about six or eight feet away from Mike Brown's body, meaning with the trajectory of shell casings, that they were very close. Wilson's testimony is eight to ten feet when the final shot was fired. And that, I think, is the second most compelling piece of forensic evidence. That actually, the reason why that's a compelling piece is I, I'm not... I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think there's some legal precedent to say in that zone, like the officer can consider himself in danger. Right. Supports not only what Wilson said, but just the event that a shooting was imminent or maybe necessary when they're that close in contact. Sonny, do you believe the forensics backs it up? No, I, I, I can't actually believe what I'm hearing from I can't from, believe from you Jeff, can't uh, you and, deny and forensic Mark. evidence that's <laughs> indisputable. It's, a, it's unbelievable well, that you, it's you can't acknowledge Mark, the, that. It's not indisputable, Mark. Did, did he that come is not back 25 true. feet? That is inaccurate. Let, let, let's let's let Sonny finish her point with you. In, in fact, you know, Mark is talking about 25 feet. What we heard from the first witness was uh, the medical investigator was that one, he didn't take any crime scene photos because his camera was out of batteries, and two, he didn't measure anything because the distances weren't in dispute. And, and so we we do have that information that that, that and, and that's fascinating. I, I think what is also interesting. Um, Anderson, quite frankly, is when you, when you talk about um, you know probable cause, which is the standard in front of the grand jury, and you heard, you saw uh, you know Randy's package, and, and 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 you heard some of the witness testimony. It's fascinating that with so many divergent um, stories. Many, many witnesses saying that he had his hands up and because surrender. Because there was a variety of eyewitness testimony There's, that, that they could have taken this to a jury. Of course they, okay. not only could they have, they should have taken it to Mark, a jury. What do you think of that? Since there's enough conflicting eyewitness testimony, why not just take it to, why not take it to a jury? Why well, not? Well, because the indictment, again, remember, doesn't put him in jail. It just brings it to court. Right. Well, the reason why the prosecutor passed it over to the grand jury in the first place uh, and usually, and this yes, is a, right. Thank you. Bring go ahead. Uh, 
you, one thing you got to realize something here, folks, is you know the prosecutor doesn't have to submit things to a grand jury. They, if they feel they have enough evidence to bring the case to trial and, here's the key, get a conviction, right. they will take it to trial. Right. If uh, an attorney feels that he doesn't have the, enough evidence or there's enough conflicting – and that's a key word too – conflicting testimony – He's going to say, all right, I'm going to take all this information. I'm going to give it over to a grand jury selected right. by right. The, the city, the county, whatever. And they're going to have all this information, and then they will make the decision whether or not we should indict. And if you recall, the governor, uh, Jay Nixon, uh, actually offered to have somebody step in instead of having Robert McCullen do it. Because Robert McCullen was sort of widely accepted as being too close to the officer, too close to the situation. Right. Uh, and under ordinary circumstances, grand jury hearings can be concluded within days. But because the way this was ran, it went for three months. And people started to speculate in the community that it was being done deliberately to carry a trial outside of public view to sort of create exonerating circumstances for Officer William- Wilson. Right. Now, is that true or not? Who knows? But it gave off from the very beginning. If you remember, like, there was calls for him to step aside. Yeah. And he didn't. Uh, and so there was so much skepticism going into it, which is very odd. There's enough people that are questioning. There's enough eyewitnesses. There's some video that we saw one clip of there where the guy said his hands were like this that you kind of wonder why not send it to court. Right. If right. nothing else, uh, it it sends it sends a message to an already to an already berated community that these officers yeah. are above the law. But you know, but obviously some of the problems with you know, and we heard some of that witness testimony is they're saying you know his, he was running away from the officer. Yeah. Well, the forensic evidence shows entry and exit points of bullets mm-hmm. and trajectories What do you everything. think about that one on the top of his head, though? Well, if he was coming straight if, at him... If you believe it. If you believe that. But and some eyewitness you, testimony says uh, that he uh, he put his hands up and says, I don't have a gun. And he shouted, I don't have a gun. As, as he was running, running, or was he just standing well, there? So the, the, the eyewitness testimony says that he turned around, put it, as he turned around, he put his hands up. Now, Officer Wilson says he put his one hand down his, like, down by his um, waistband. Well, but he also said he was charging him, right. too, when that was occurring. Right, right. But, they, but the witnesses, yeah. some of the witnesses say that's not true. Do you, now, and that's the problem. You have all these conflicting... So that's why it seems like maybe you should go to court. Right. But... It's not it is remember it goes back to the premise that the prosecutor if it goes to court he's got to be able to you know have enough evidence to yeah. get a conviction. And the thing is is they're looking at those forensics and the forensics match Wilson's story. Right. If Wilson's story is manufactured then he managed to manufacture it such that it lines up with the forensics. I want to make one note real quick. Yeah. You and I are having a conversation about facts, about the case, about whether or not it should have went to trial and everybody's listening to us talk about it. We haven't mentioned once in the past, say, five minutes or so, the officer's race or the victim's race. Right. Because that doesn't matter. Yeah. And it shouldn't matter. Right. It, it, the, only, the only way it matters in the context is that community has a has a They has have a, a, a long, grievance. tough history right. because of race. And I, but and, tell and I me, get that 100%. tell me that this isn't a bigger problem that's spreading to everybody. The over the – it seems today we live in a world, in, at least in the United States – where police just bust into people's house, oh yeah, kill their dogs, you know, throw gr- throw gr- smoke grenades right. into uh, what yes. was that a crib? Yeah. Like we, it, to me, it seems like what all of this is about is really the state of America. Yeah, and the problem is the narrative is about the race war, and the problem is the race war is great for elections and politicians, but it is not good to solve this problem because no. the real problem is the system. Right. And, and and that's where, you know, we need to all come together, regardless of race, and talk about these things. And and not, uh, you know, I understand, you know, the whole part of, of acting out and you feel like there's no one listening. I mean, hell, when we were kids, 
Sometimes you feel like mommy and daddy is not listening to you, so you act out. Sometimes it may involve throwing a ball or breaking something, you know, things like that. But what? But what do you? But mommy and daddy aren't killing your friends. No, no, and it, the or thing your is, siblings, right? right? I mean, this. Remember, these. This is. But instead of people's focusing, lives are yeah, being ruined. But instead of focusing it on this is the police and our government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Look, this is the white officer. Right. This is, you know, you know. Let's get the NAACP on this. Let's get all these other groups. Let's let's have these marches concerning race when we shouldn't be. It shouldn't be about that. Right. It should be about the bigger picture here, the bigger problem. There's there is a problem in the United States, and it it's a huge one, and it involves. And I think another component we haven't really talked about, but uh, when. When there are more and more people that are unemployed or working part time and don't have enough money, violence goes up. This is it, it, whenever the, whenever people have been massively impacted by by an economic failure, like yeah. say in two thousand and eight or something like that, the violence, the hostility, it goes up. This is an unhappy populace. They're not happy with their government. They're not happy with the people in charge. They feel like they don't have any options. But this also goes back to uh, the lead up mm. to yeah. me. That's yeah. First off, let's let's look on how our government, and I'm not just talking about you know the Missouri state government, city government. Yeah. The leading up to this, right. I mean, they they were like setting up the feeling of a big major disaster, which is basically yeah. what we got. They built it and built it and built it. They up. They built it up, and but and it's not just that, but the media fed into that, uh, newspapers, everybody fed into this like big. Th- oh my God, what's going to happen in Ferguson? We have confirmed and unconfirmed reports. Right. Uh, I mean. Why would you make a, a potentially volatile announcement in the evening like this? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it almost feels like they wanted this to happen in a way. I I know that well, really does sound baconish, and I don't mean it to be. But like, why else would you put out a potential volatile announcement in the evening when you know most people are, are if they're not working, they're out of work, and you know everybody's off work. Uh, they're they're under the cover of darkness, so they can you know you know push things higher to an nth nth degree. I mean, why did they did they think people wouldn't come out because it was cold? Bull crap. Yeah, I, I bull crap. I can't. Other than they just knew it was going to cause problems, and I, I, I think the media has a role in this in uh, enticing it, you know, inciting it to get people to go out there, so that way they have something to report on. They love these court cases, and this is like the next level of it. But why couldn't they prepare for these situations without being without having that reported? I mean, like any kind of major announcement or major. You know event, why. why? You know why? I'm putting out a rhetorical question. You know I why? I know why. But their ratings are off the charts for these last couple of days. I, it's ridiculous. And you know, and you know, did you hear? Uh, people were watching Dancing with. Speaking of ratings, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear about this? Yeah. People were watching Dancing with the Stars, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, you know, the the guy Carlton from uh, you know uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, spoiler alert: he wins. Okay, so they're about ready <laughs> to announce the big winner, and they break in with breaking news about the Ferguson stuff. Yeah, and people were pissed. Yeah, yeah. I got to show. Uh, we'll get off this topic, but this was this was the protest footage that. Did you see this? No. Uh, this is hard to watch. Uh, for those of you on the audio feed, um, you know there was protests going on all over. This is from uh, the uh, Star Tribune, and uh, this was happening in Minneapolis. Uh, and there's an intersection where a um, uh, an outback uh, um, station wagon is trying to get through, but there's people in the way. So they decide to drive through the crowd. I'll, I'll just play a little bit. Human rights are under attack. What do we do? Human rights are under attack. 
I'll jump ahead. There you go. You see that? You see that? Oh, my God, right? Well, I'll play it back. So this car is trying to get through. And then the car just starts driving, drives over that lady. Woo! And now watch everybody freak out on the car. And then they start chanting the license plate. Yeah, they cut away because they start chan- chanting the license plate so that way people could go find them. Uh, and, you know, watching wow. this back, uh, I also want to say a special thank you to uh, listener Skooky Sprite, uh, Seth, who uh, overnighted in his uh, his clips from his local news affiliate of the protest. There's lots of really good footage in the uh, Unfiltered Supporter Sync of that. Wow. That's Hours awesome. of it, if you're curious. It's it's pretty it's pretty wild watching the buildings burn and stuff like that. It's really sad to you see know, this happen. Really sad. Well, one thing I want to say to all the peeps who watch and, and listen to the show is, you know, we're not trying to push one way or the other here. What we're trying to do for you guys is, you know, whether, you know, you're African-American, black, Latino, Korean, white, it doesn't matter. Just don't take your eye off what really is going on here. And that's that's the ultimate key. Don't take your eye off of it because that's what the media wants you to do. Yeah. They, they want you to get involved and make it about race, which true, there is a factor involved there with yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. That's where, and, and, you know, that's there is, honestly, yeah. that's why they can get away totally, with covering that. Totally. Yeah. But there's a bigger thing. There's a yeah. bigger narrative that we've talked about on the show, you know, and Chris, you had a great monologue about it. And, you know, just think you know, about that, If you that, could you go guys. back in time, if, Offer, if Officer Wilson uh, could have pre- pepper sprayed uh, Michael Brown, if he could have tased Michael Brown, or that 12-year-old kid that was killed on Monday, you know, if they could have tased. Uh, and, you know, I'm I The Verge has made a big push this past week uh, for all cops to have cameras. I think that would help, but I also have, you got to recognize here, obviously, uh, they, you know, these cops have to go to the bathroom. They have to talk to people. These cameras would be turned off from time to time. Batteries would go dead. I mean, this guy didn't get any evidence photos because his camera batteries were dead, right? So cameras on cops would help, but it, this crap would still happen. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, problem is the system itself. Right. No, the system is inherently broken. Uh, especially when you have police departments. I mean, first off, I mean, you got the police departments uh, alone that are financially strapped. You know, they're always looking for, you know, help and supplies. And then, you know, you got the federal government going, hey, you know what? We're going to give you some supplies. We're going to give you some MRAPs. We're going to give you some bulletproof vests and all these things. Hey, you need this tank? Uh, You need this tank? We'll give it to you. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those big picture things where – I know we we all feel sometimes at the end of the day where, you know, all is lost and, you know, no matter what we say or what we do, no one's listening to us. And, you know, sometimes the only way you can do that is by acting out. But but when you do that, just, you know, be careful with it. You know, don't don't get in. I mean, doing the violent thing. Don't make it worse. And destroying someone's business after 30 years. Don't give them justification to fear you. No, because if you if you do those certain things, if you start torching businesses and getting involved and breaking things and committing violence, you're not helping that. You're actually hurting that cause and helping force their narrative, what they want you to be. That that's what they think you are. And that's that's where that's where you gotta like say you know no we're smarter than this we're a lot smarter than this and we're yeah. not gonna play into that hand. The problem is I and I you know this is where I think maybe we're just too disconnected from it is it makes a lot of sense but I think they're too upset. 
But you know, uh, and you know what? I don't blame that. I mean, we get upset too, but we we also keep that in check. Yeah. Uh, but there are people, uh, you know, like the African American community that you know justifiably have been targeted. Mm-hmm. That, that I mean, and I don't mean they've been justifiably targeted. I mean, they, they feel that you know, and and it's happened. You where, look at the numbers. Yeah, look at the numbers. Yeah. You, you look at the the prison population. You look at you know African Americans that have been arrested and put in jail. Uh, Exponentially higher than yeah. any other a, any other group. Here's a little here's a little breakdown. So, young black males. This is from ProPublica, and they reviewed uh, twelve thousand police homicides stretching from 1980 to 2012, and all of the FBI's uh, supplementary uh, homicide reports on all of those. So, young black males in recent years are at a far greater risk of being shot dead by police than their white counterparts. In fact, twenty one times greater, according to this analysis of all the federally collected data on police shootings. The 1,217 deadly police shootings from 2010 to 2012 captured in federal data show that blacks aged 15 to 19 were killed at a rate of 31.17 per million, while whites 1.47 per million. So it's a difference of 31.17 per million to 1.47 per million in the age range of 15 to 19 uh, at, at looking at uh, 1,217 different reports, you know, in and, that time and, range, and, there, and there's so many factors involved with that. I mean, there's, I mean, a lot of my friends when I was going through high school, you know, uh, they just had mom, dad, uh, you know, was a deadbeat. You know, mom had three or four kids with you know this you know deadbeat dude. He just takes off. Uh, African American kids, uh, you know, don't have a dad or you know a good significant positive role model. Um, you know, and, and it's one of these things that, you know, it, it screws up families, it screws up. And I, and, and I think it comes, it comes back to that. I mean, it comes back to, to the beginning and it comes back to, uh, you know, good, solid upbringing and, and good jobs for people, for all people. I mean, we see the, the middle class getting pinched and pinched and pinched some more. Pretty much destroyed. Yeah. Pretty much dis- destroyed. You know, we, we, uh, you know, what family, uh, that can't have, they can't survive without two incomes. And then you have, uh, you know, families that barely survive on one, and then they they get hooked into that government assistance, and then they can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's all races. It happens everywhere. And it's like, what is the single answer? Well, we don't have one. Are you surprised the protests are still going as we record this? No, I'm not. Because right now, well, it's a twofold thing. First off, the cameras are there, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So, you know, it's one of those, again, 24-7 news cycle. If the cameras are there... We're going to show up. I mean, you know, the, you know, notice In fact, cause you, you Occupy could, is pretty much done, right? Because the cameras went away. Because you could say, you know, while we have the world's attention, we need to we need to do something. I mean, that could be – that's a pretty justifiable reason. Like, uh, you know, if you have a cause and it's getting attention, you take advantage of that attention, right? I mean, I'm going to go turn on Anderson Cooper right now. He's, uh, he's on, he's on uh, CNN. Oh, they're at commercial. But I bet um, you he's down on the ground. We'll see. I'll keep know, an eye on it. I want to I want to share something personal with with our with our awesome peeps out there. And by the way, thank you to all of you guys who support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash unfiltered. This mm-hmm. is not a, a ad pitch screen or, or I got it up on my screen right now if you want to see. But this oh, is that this was not my intention. Look at but, that. But no, but seriously, um, I'm gonna share something with you guys and anybody who's watching. You know, I I I grew up uh, in a very violent household. Uh, I was abused uh, physically, verbally. I was beaten with bailing wire. Mm. It's the wire that goes around hay. Mm. Um, I barely had friends 
uh, <laughs> growing up. I had a, a very hard thing. Mm. Um, but then towards my mid-teens, you know, I was put into foster care. And I had a real loving, warm place to be. And, you know, if I didn't have a good solid upbringing, you know, or at least someone to take over, <laughs> I have no idea where I'd be today. Yeah. And if alive. Exactly. And it, and it's one of those things where that's the way I see where we can solve a lot of the issues going forward for kids and for, for youth and, you know, hold people accountable who, who beat their kids or, you know, there's there's bad things happening to them. And that's that what we can do as a community. That's what we can do and that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't be getting violent. We, we should be trying to do stuff. Um, and it really pains me to see, you know, communities that, you know, we that are hurting here at home that need our fucking help. And instead, we send billions of dollars overseas. Yeah. Billions sending equipment, uh, everything overseas. When we have a problem right here that we need to solve with 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 just normal people with that just need help. And I'm not just talking about financial. I'm talking about see, psychological. See, I'm talking about everything. This is what you're touching on, though. Is the problem is it's too broken. Like they, everybody's been bought and paid for, and they're not doing the things. They're not investing here. And what really scares me, though, is if if all else fails. If all else fails and people try to do it the right way and not be violent and, 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 and put together a solid organizational effort and they just get pushed down, then the only other option, the only last option is violence. Yeah. And, and I, that's the part that scares the hell out of me. You know what struck me with all these protests is, uh, I, as far as I could tell, this is just from my observation, is it seemed to be predominantly young people. Yeah. Uh, you know, in 30s to 20s and, and teens. Yeah. Um, Some and, of them that maybe went to college and they have buttloads of debt and they can't right. get a job because the, they were told they have to go to college. The, the truly screwed generation. The generation that graduates from college and falls off a cliff into joblessness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, th- I do not believe this problem is going to get any better at all. No. I believe it's starting in the black community, but it is. There is. It's unexclusive. There is entire generations. What the hell are they going towards? What the hell is ahead of them for the United States as it is in obvious decline now? Yeah. So there is the tension, the anger, as people wake up and realize how fucked they're getting by these multinational corporations that have bought and paid for their politicians and are these, these other governments that buy lobbying groups here in the United States so that way their wishes are passed instead of the local populace's wishes are passed. People are going to get more violent. Yeah. And maybe that's why. And you know what? The federal government... It is a mistake to assume they are stupid. They know it. That's why we've got NSA surveillance. That's why we've got all of this police state happening. That's why we're bulking up the police. Because they know what direction things are going in. Because they're the ones that are looking at all of the reports and saying, oh, shit. This is going to get bad. Because historically, it always does. It is human nature. So this is the beginning of something. Now, it's not going to be like every single day. It's not, no. But every time something like that, more and more people are going to get angry. More and more people will realize there's nothing they can do other than break some shit. And they're going to go out there and they're going to break it. And it's still going to get worse. And it, it's as scary as hell to watch this happen and to be able to sit here and go, oh boy, this is pretty obvious it's going to get bad. And then know that nothing's going to happen. 
You know when you play a video game, Chris? Oh, remember? and look what they're reporting on right now, Chase. Look uh, at this. Oh, wait, this is live right now. Government and the prosecutors here, it's bewildering and infuriating. The, the National Guard, obviously, under the control of the governor, Governor Jay Nixon. Is that exactly who the mayor is suggesting that he has the biggest problem with right now? So they're still talking about Ferguson. They oh. got they got look at look at the aerial shots of the cars. Yeah, burning. they yeah yeah they got fires burning and, and such. I, it's now so now now it's every time there's an MH17 type you know it's like go all in on the coverage, make it a huge deal, but don't actually talk about the real problem. No, no, and 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 well they can't because they're they're sucked into the system. Remember, it's all about the money. It's all about the ratings. That's right. And you know what do we do? And you know it's one of those things where I think it's a uh, it's a general generational thing. Mm. I don't think the screwed generation. Yeah, you know, and you I know, can't imagine what the country, what state at the current rate. I cannot imagine when my kids are my age. I can't imagine what we're gonna where we're gonna be at. Honestly, that's one of the reasons why I don't have yeah, kids. I don't blame you. Yeah, really. I mean, I'm honestly afraid. Some people, you know what? F to F to all those who who tell me, well, Chase, you know, you're just selfish. You know, you you're not having kids because you're self you're selfish. You know, you want all these things to yourself. And then I go back to them and I go, yeah. You know, you realize that I want to be you know responsible to the point where a I want to be able to afford to raise my kids. Right. You know, if I had kids, provide for them. Provide for them. Uh, they they say they estimate that a kid takes about a million dollars to raise. I think it is. I mean, I was reading that. The other oh, I day. got three of those. Yeah. So that's three million for you, Chris. That's. I'm going to have to three. launch a few more shows and uh, <laughs> maybe get a few more responses. Hey, I'm all right to help you out with that. But no, it's it's one of those things where I worry about the current kids. I mean, when you hear about kids that are going to school and two-year-old kids that are playing cops and robbers with a toy gun in Cleveland and they get shot, which we heard earlier. We, you know, you hear about kids not getting recess anymore. They can't play cops and robbers because, oh, you know, terrorism. Oh, like a 12-year-old. You know. But you know what it, You know what strikes me, though? What the hell's going on? Is we often sit on the show and get upset that the public never does anything. And I think this isn't the right kind of thing, but this is going to – maybe this is what it will take – and it's not going to be in a couple of years. It's, no, gonna it's a generational. To, it's going to be a lot of years of this. But yeah. maybe this is what it takes to fix things up. Well, you know, I, I know we, we, we pull a lot from uh, from uh, John C. Dvorak and Adam Curry. And, you know, they, they, they look at charts. They look at data. And, they, they, and Dvorak's the big data guy. There's going to be a big crash at some point. That's what, he, that's what some people think. I mean – I don't know. Who knows? That, I don't have a crystal ball, but I got to believe uh, that if we don't have some major course corrections, there's going to be some kind of problem. And the, this, the, these protests will just be the beginning. But you know what's sad? I mean, you know, I, 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 I was up in Canada over the weekend, and I know every country has their own issues, but you don't see the same kind of fear-based media when, when you're up there. I don't know if, all of, if some of it's because they're being shielded from it. Mm, they're starting to work on it. Yeah. It's starting to happen more and more. Yeah. But yeah, it's not not nearly like it is here. No. Yeah. No, not as much not. of a news team no, industry. All I got to say, you guys, is you know what? I know sometimes you think violence is the only option, but right now it's not. At this point, I think there's still a chance. I'm a, I'm a little bit of an optimist mm. still. And I, and I think, you know, if... I wish I could say the same. Yeah, I know, but you. I think I think it's I think it's been too late for about thirty years. Yeah, wow. That's my opinion, but I, maybe I'm wrong. I hope you're right. Yeah. I hope you're right. Should we shift gears and talk about something more positive, like Al Qaeda? Yeah, let's. <laughs> you, want, you want to switch over to Al Qaeda? 
Oh, uh, what is wrong with everything? Uh, well, hey, when Al Qaeda is more positive than uh, protest, you know you're in a bad situation. But uh, we got some bad guys, Chase, and we saved some hostages. We're learning details yeah. this morning about a U.S. special operations rescue in eastern Yemen. The mission involved about two dozen Americans and a group of local soldiers. They reportedly flew by helicopter to an area near Saudi Arabia's border, then hiked to a cave where al-Qaeda terrorists were holding hostages. I love this. I love the cave angle. The commandos rescued eight captives, none of them American. They killed seven of the militants. <laughs> Yemen's president, an American ally, reportedly asked for that mission. Of course. Yeah, come on in, America. Come on in and cowboy come on up. Come on in. Come on in in my country and cowboy Check up. Check out them. Uh, and uh, there have been some recent deaths in Syria, which will lead us into the big surprise from the Defense Department. The UN chief says that at least 50 civilians have been killed in U.S.-led airstrikes in Syria since September. Ban Ki-moon also warned that Islamic State terrorists have responded to the bombing by stepping up their own attacks on Syrian cities. Let's get some reaction now by speaking to uh, British Member of Parliament Jeremy Corbyn, who's on the line. We'll leave it at that. Uh, you can watch the interview with uh, Corbyn, if you'd like, in the uh, supporters' sink. So 50 civilians have been killed in uh, airstrikes by the U.S. Wow. Uh, and uh, so it was kind of a shock when this week we learned that Secretary Hagel, who's only been in for about since since I mean, he he was he, he unfiltered was well on its way when he yeah. came in. He's kind of a noob. And uh, he's out. He's now on to the resignation of Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel. After just 635 days on the job, Hagel is finished. Both he and President Obama making that announcement this morning. I believe we have set not only this department, the Department of Defense, but the nation on a stronger course toward security, stability, and prosperity. Uh, If I didn't believe that, I would not have done this job. Let me just say that Chuck uh, is and has been a great friend of mine. Uh, I've known him, admired him, and trusted him for nearly a decade uh, since I was a green behind the years uh, freshman senator President. Uh, and we were both on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, if I, There's one thing I know about Chuck is that he does not make uh, this or any decision lightly. He, hey. he also said, although they cut it off. He's a jackass. Oh. <laughs> by, by the way, Chris, uh, do, you think, out. <laughs> do you think he uh, resigned on his own or Obama told him to go? Well, uh, there is. Uh, they might get into it in this clip. There is. It's only got a, a little bit left. There All is. Right. Uh, there. I, I, there's some speculation. Well, some pretty concrete speculation yeah. was pushed out. Yeah. Uh, they might touch on it. I'll finish this. Okay. Well, Chuck Hagel was the first enlisted combat veteran to have served as Secretary of Defense, and that was one of the reasons we were like, maybe he'll be an okay Defense Secretary. He's right. actually been in combat. Yeah, yeah. He's got experience. NBC News reports the sources are saying Hagel was clearly pushed out. Hagel became a vocal critic of the original Iraq war, had pushed for reducing the size of the U.S. Army, though, as recently as January of this year. He (laughs) does say that he will remain as defense secretary until the Senate Ah. can confirm his replacement. Now, how do you suppose that confirmation is going to go? Oh, (laughs) my God. So I I tried to dig around. I was like, okay, so we are we're kind of involved as far as our defense department goes in a lot of things yes. I, I, oh, primarily yes. the you know the new the, the rebuild up to Iraq all of the s in Syria I'm trying to piece together what might have happened so a couple of days before this announcement Chuck Hagel went on Charlie Rose's show you know his little interview show that he's got there with the uh, with the uh, with the old face and stuff uh, and uh, he said a few things that I thought maybe might have put him in hot water and then I put it in some context with some other rumors so we'll bust through this clip. This is pretty interesting, some of the things Hagel is saying publicly on the Charlie Rose show, and then shortly after this interview, his resignation was announced. 
here's the reality. We live in this imperfect, dynamic, changing, threatening, dangerous, interconnected world that we have never seen before. We have never seen anything like this before. And so uh, uh, policies, uh, yes, are predicated on historical knowledge and cultural awareness and, and all that goes into that. Have we made mistakes over a series of many years? Now, do you think he's talking about Obama's presidency right here? Have we made mistakes? Mm. Or is he talking about Bush? He might be talking about Bush, but I, I almost think he might be talking yeah, about Obama. Yeah. Have we made mistakes over a series of many years? Uh, yeah, I think, think we have. I think anybody would agree to that. But that's not the issue. That's not the responsibility oh. I have now, or the president has, or John Kerry. Our responsibilities now are to find ways that, that we can make it better, find strategies and policies that work. Policies and strategies that work almost as if like the ones we have now aren't working hmm. in a world of uncontrollables we're living in this world charlie that you can't there, control especially in the middle east of- i actually think what he's about to lay out is at a very super high level the reason why the u.s is so involved in in the middle east what he's about to say is something that we've tried to get to we've tried to infer we've often said as other world powers come up the u.s wants to make sure that as as they just become one of the other world powers, not the dominant world power, the U.S. Right. wants to make sure that maybe the chips fall in the best case scenario for the U.S. in that process. I think this is actually what he's about to say. World, Charlie, over there, especially in the Middle East, of uncontrollables, all the different dy- dynamics we can't control. This is exactly what Tom Friedman pointed out. We don't control. So what do we control? In other words, we've got to do everything we can that we do have some control over because there's so much we can't control. How then can we take whatever it is we have and try to assist the people there what we have is military might one of the greatest in the world we have and try to assist the people there to build something for their uh, future i go again back to henry kissinger's book world order we are seeing a new world order We're, what what? I'm sorry, what, what was that? And back to Henry Kissinger's book, World Order. We are seeing a new world order being defined right before our eyes. We- are you hearing what this man is saying? He is admitting that the world is reshaping and that we are watching it happen right now. And the U.S. has to use whatever tools it has available, a.k.a. its military, to make sure that this new world order shapes up to our best advantage. You know, the, you know he's feeding right into the conspiracy theorist's hands by saying that, right? I mean, he's just like feeding his... Let's play it again. Let's hear him say it again. Let's hear him say it again. A what? A new world order. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. What was that? What What was that, uh, Chuck Hagel? Sorry, Chuck? Defense Secretary, I need to hear it one more time. Henry Kissinger's book, World Order. We are seeing a new world order being defined right before our eyes. We are right in the middle of it. And so, yes, uh, it is difficult to come up with policies that that work, are relevant, that... uh, we're not only always adjusting on, but 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 some won't work. And uh, uh, like our policy in Syria, I don't know anybody smart enough in the world today uh, who has yet come up with two or three of these policies that are absolute. Yeah, no kidding. I, I want to play. You know what? I got more in the overtime sync, but I want to play another Hegel one just because that isn't that fascinating. If you read between the lines of what he's saying, uh, so you Chase's choice. He talks a little more about ISIS. Or ISIL, or sequester. Ooh, we haven't heard about sequester. And in a actually, sequester is a good one. Yeah. Did you know? Hmm. And it, it actually makes sense if you think about it. But I guess we don't promote it very often. But Hegel's loose lips. Hegel. Did you know the U.S. military is the largest institution in the world? 
It makes sense. No, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, but yeah. he actually, you know, to have a high-level official say that. Yeah. That's... We, the Defense Department, are being called upon to do more everywhere. I mean, look look at the last six months where where we, we now are involved where we weren't uh, six months ago, and our budget continues to be cut. So... You we need s- more money, Chris. Well, sure, right? Of course, yeah. they always do. But you could see if you're Obama, right, and you're watching Charlie Rose, you're like, shut up, Chuck, shut up. Uh, something doesn't uh, connect here, and that's going to have to change. And if it doesn't? Well, if it doesn't... Uh, we will not have the resources to meet the challenges internationally. We won't have the readiness. Oh, thanks, Charlie. Just go ahead and hand him the answer, Charlie. Well, if it doesn't... Uh, we will not have the resources to meet the challenges internationally. We won't have the readiness. We won't have the capability. We won't have the long-term investments that this institution uh, requires to stay ahead uh, of everybody else as we have since World War II with a technological edge, with the ability to continue to recruit and retain the best people. You know, no institution uh, has anything unless you have people. And it doesn't matter uh, how much sophistication you have in the technology. If you don't have the right people, you, you don't have much. And, and, and all of this will come together as it is now with these huge, steep, abrupt cuts at a time the world is becoming more dangerous, not less dangerous. Now, why is the world becoming more dangerous? What is, what is causing mm. that? And we're being asked to do more. Congressional leaders are not listening to you? They're going to have an opportunity. Uh, and more sequestration would be devastating. Devastating. If this continues, uh, all the chiefs, the Joint Chiefs, have said this clearly, plainly. I've said it. Uh, General Dempsey said it. All our leaders of our institutions. That um, we will cut so deeply into readiness and to our ability to carry out our missions, and, uh, and it will have a direct impact on every facet of, of, of our security. It can't help but uh, uh, have that. So I'm hopeful uh, that this new Congress, which will come in in January, uh, will, will take the opportunity with new budget um, uh, hearings, and we're going to have to get into that and, and make the so this point. Is, this is where I get confused. Because I thought the Republicans were all about defense. Yeah, of course they're going to increase the budget. Yeah, so why would he even set that up? I mean, of course, to just to just to give them a little a little wind under their wings, so that way they can increase budgets, increase spending without criticism. Well, look, the defense secretary says we'll dramatically cut into readiness if we don't do this. Now, uh, fun fact. <laughs> I'm I'm asking the audience to okay. go way back in their memories, All but right. if you will recall, yeah. the sequestration to the defense budget yeah. was sequestering future spending. It sequestered future spending. Right. Not it, we did not cut into existing budget. Correct. We cut into future budgets. Right. That's where. So. So yes, that is bad. I agree. But it's not like we're you – now, they have made proactive changes, but I think sometimes they have done that from a political standpoint. In fact, they continue to get emergency resolutions for funding. They actually haven't had a reduction in funding. It's uh. only in technicality there's even been a reduction. Now, they have made changes in response to that, which is understandable because you're not always guaranteed to get these uh, emergency funding bills passed. But they actually have continued to get as much money as they had so far. So you've got to keep some of this in mind. Yes, it means they can't build new space toys as easily, that China will have some extra money. I, all that is true, right. but he makes it sound much more dramatic than it is. But the problem is, and again, go way, 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 way back in your memory. The reason we got sequestration was a master 
political move by the Obama administration several years ago to set up all of the fiscal cliff stuff and to cause the sequestration to kick in Mm. if the Republicans didn't go along with the plan. Sequestration is here today because of things that the Obama administration put into motion several years ago. Sequestration, while you could blame it on a lot of people now, was started by the Obama administration. Now he's sitting here talking about it, right? And he's talking about it in pretty dramatic terms. I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, that they will do the right thing and the responsible thing. You can't thing do it stop by it. continuing resolution. You can't do it by continuing resolution. It's too dangerous. No, no, you can't run any institution by the uncertainty of, of maybe you will get funding in six months. Maybe you won't. Maybe it'll be the same. Maybe it won't. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. Yeah. And especially you can't run national security. National security on uh, the basis of hope of a continuing resolution. And you're talking about running the largest institution in the world. It is the largest institution in the world. Yeah, so uh, there's that. So Hegel just had that interview uh, a few days before his resignation. But there's also a report, uh, and I like this. I like this rumor because it's being reported uh, by several places. It's being reported by the New York Times, uh, uh, Ars Technica, and uh, Times of um, a different Times paper, I can't remember the name, and NBC News. So three different news outlets plus Ars Technica, which is sort of doing a meta-analysis. They all agree that Chuck Hagel had major disagreements with Obama's national security advisor, Susan Rice, who was going to be... uh, Susan Rice, she was in the UN, and then remember she has that really crazy voice. Yeah, uh, she, they believe that Hegel and Susan Rice have been butting heads over Obama's plans and actions in Syria. Last month, Chuck Hegel sent a two-page memo detailing his concerns about the Syria policy. According to the Times, Hegel pointed out that Obama's policy was in danger of unraveling because he didn't have any clarity in his position towards the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad. He also had a pretty crappy relationship, was a direct quote from Steve Clemens, the founder of the American Strategy Program at the New America Foundation. So uh, he, he apparently wasn't totally on board with the Syria plan. Hmm. And in another interview, which I have in the overtime folder, he kind of indirectly says that the U.S. has sort of caused this problem. Wow. This is a major shakeup to happen in the middle of yeah. all of this going on. And then you have a new Congress coming into play. Man, this is going to be a fun next two years, let me yeah. tell you. Yeah, it's going to be really crazy. Wow. Yeah. So uh, Chuck Hagel's out, and uh, but not until they get a replacement. No, no, no. no Which is, leaves him as a lame duck, basically. Well, just like Eric Holder. <laughs> yeah, same thing, right? Yeah, same thing. God, that is... Boy, the Obama administration, dude. No, but no. It's the, falling apart. But Chris, but Chris... <laughs> Uh, and I, I didn't come up with this myself. So someone in the chat room did. But, you know, this is maybe setting up the narrative for Hillary, right? We get a couple of pieces for Hillary in there. Obviously, if the uh, they pass through a Republican control and all that. But you get you get them in there. And then all of a sudden, Hillary comes in in two years. You've already made the Red Book prediction. You, you, Way back. She's a, she's a shoe-in, according yeah, to you. According so, to the Red Book, yeah. yeah. And if things are screwy with our Middle East policy at that point, you play, you you pin, you don't have to pin the blame on Hill Dog. You pin, you blame the uh, you pin the blame on the uh, new defense secretary. And then at that point, we open up a new location out in the San Juans, <laughs> and we just live there. It's, it's just, pretty screwed up. It's so effed. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it, but it is fascinating to uh, to see this like out of nowhere come out. And it's obviously there's yeah. something going on behind the scenes there. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, before we wrap up today, uh, well, which I think we should end on a high note, Chase. You know, that's a good idea. We can uh, we can end on a high note. And uh, it is going to be Black Friday. That's right. Oh, by the way, 
Happy Thanksgiving to all you guys here in the U.S. to celebrate. I know uh, Canada already uh, celebrated earlier in the year. Uh, but, yeah, you know, this is the time to be thankful for, you, you know, uh, your your wife or I, your kids or your job or whatever, you know, you're alive. Or Black Friday. Or Black Friday. But maybe uh, some uh, some are uh, happy about being high. I think so. <laughs> and that, in fact, uh, uh, pot merchants in Colorado, dude, they're not slacking. They're, they're cashing in. They want to call it Green Friday. Black Friday is less than 48 hours away, but in Colorado, this morning shoppers are also hearing about Green Friday bargains. The green is for marijuana. Manuel Bohorkas <laughs> is in Denver, where the pot industry wants a piece of the holiday shopping uh, rush. Oh, Manuel, there's good the morning. <laughs> good morning. Sales of recreational marijuana have been legal here in Colorado for almost a year now. In that time, it's become a competitive industry, and the holidays are no different. At the Dixie Elixir Marijuana Company here in... Wait a minute. Is he dipping those in, 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 in weed Looks chocolate? Like, wa- like white chocolate. That's a, is that a huge, huge vat of white weed chocolate? Chris, calm down, Chris. Denver workers are busy preparing a special holiday edible. Brand new product that launched this season. This is a THC-infused Dixie One. Featuring a Dixie familiar one. winter flavor. <laughs> this is a seasonal white chocolate peppermint square, Love if it. you will. Dixie Elixir is just one of the marijuana businesses throughout the state turning to familiar holiday marketing strategy. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, edibles at some point. Do we even have edibles here? Hey, uh, we don't even have edibles no, here, do no, we? No, I think we do. Oh, okay. Uh, I w- let me ask you real quick, Chris. Uh, maybe maybe you might know, but remember the map that we saw earlier about all the riots all over the country? Mm. Was there a dot in Denver? No. I swear. No. <laughs> there no. were two be. I don't think so. I think they're all just chilling, Chase. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I, this edibles business is going to be so much bigger than the flower sale. I, I, I mean, <laughs> because edibles are approachable, you can give them to people as gifts. You can put hey, them in stockings. Hey, I mean, it's a great. I, I idea. will say this: you know, the next time the Girl Scout cookies come around, you know, if they have a special cookie, <laughs> yeah, right. Just saying. Hey, you got that now? White marijuana businesses throughout the state turning to familiar holiday marketing strategies. One dispensary is selling pot in the shape of mini Christmas trees. Oh. And Denver's Medicine Man store is advertising its own version of a doorbuster with this Green Friday promotion. <laughs> Sally Vanderveer is one of the store's manager. <laughs> you know, the, the media loves oh these shots. Oh, my God. They love going in the grow house. They love going in there. And, you know, it must stink so bad in there. Oh, Chris, they probably have uh, ventilation. Oh, yeah, well but, ventilation, yeah. But, like, you know, this reporter's like, you know, you, you, um, can, you see one hand, but by, the other hand's like way, grabbing what? For our audio only people there's the reporter and the interviewee the plants are up to chest high yeah, yeah they're definitely okay. they're at boob level for they, both of them they, <laughs> yeah that guy is that guy and look at look how long that guy is staring at that plant like, wow i'm gonna back it up so That's, we can let's see what they're talking about here friday promotion sally vanderveer is one of the store's managers those prices represent more than a 50% discount off of everyday prices for the top shelf marijuana. We can offer Green Friday sale for our customers just as they would at Macy's or any other uh, big box store. Usually you hear of Black Friday sales being big screen TVs or right. video game consoles. Are people really going to turn mm-hmm. out to, to get marijuana at that discount? Oh, I yeah. think so. This oh, is yeah. a deep discount purchase oh, yeah. for marijuana. She hopes those deep discounts will lead to a bump in holiday sales. This one will be 15 that one will be 20 Okay. As well as entice new customers. I think with the prices that we have in place, that we'll have a line out the door. Once known as Colorado's experiment, marijuana has become a legitimate industry. 
generating more than $50 million in taxes and fees for the state so far this year. It started really with a wink and a nod. Sam Kamen, a law professor at the University of Denver, follows Colorado's marijuana industry. I think what we're seeing now is an industry maturing, that it's gone from being a novelty to behaving like other industries. Really? In less than a year? I mean, let's let's keep it real. Yeah, dial it back, buddy. Which is, you know, doing promotions, doing advertising, trying to come up with new products, trying to capture market share. What about a podcast? And, you know, I think we'll see a lot more of that going forward. But people in Colorado will not see Green Friday ads on TV, on billboards, or even many publications. That's because there are strict regulations to ensure that marijuana is not being Kids. marketed to those under 21. Oh. Gail? Okay, got it, Manuel. So marijuana is shaped like a Christmas tree. Is that a good stocking stuffer? Anybody? <laughs> Look at them all laughing, too. You know, uh, you can't have cannabis ads on TV because you got to make room for all them beer ads. Like a Christmas tree. Is that a good stocking stuffer? Anybody? <laughs> discount marijuana? <laughs> In Colorado. In Colorado. There you go. Manuel, thank you. Wow. That got awkward at the end, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Gail. Don't bring. Don't make Charlie talk about his uh, now, favorite now, hobby. Now, Chris, I, I know you're you're a married guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you are, but mm-hmm. uh, you know if you're out on the the prowl and you're you're looking for somebody that maybe is friendly in the uh, marijuana world, you might want to consider cannabissingles.com. That's right, age twenty two yep. to eighty four. I tried it, so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do let's do twenty two to forty five. Okay, that's, that's probably my range I, for getting it up. I mean, and <laughs> I'll do. Wait, you're not you're not into the uh, grandmas. Uh, no, not so much. Oh, and Let's, we want photo. We want photo. Okay. You yeah. know what? I did a search earlier for photo and there was no oh. result. So I'm going to try it with no photo. Oh, but okay. Let's all see. Right, Searching right. now. Oh, you're on my screen, by the way. Oh, right. Yeah, Sorry. Switch over. Uh, there you go. No results. There's no results in my oh. area. So if, Wait, uh, you did 50 miles, right? Yeah. Take it 250. Really? All right. I'll yeah. go back. I was just going to say maybe someone in our area should go on there and then we can go on a date. Let's see. 250. <laughs> 250 miles. All right. 250 all right. miles. <gasps> oh, uh, got, wait. Wait. Uh, oh wait, you have to join the search? Well, maybe because I've searched too many times. You try doing a search. Oh, okay. You do it out well, you, you go out to two fifty. All right, so all right, so we're gonna do I'm just gonna do the whole range. Okay. Screw it. I'm okay. gonna do two hundred and fifty miles yeah. Yeah. uh from uh, I'm gonna say nine eight oh oh two. That's like uh, that's Auburn, so that's okay. Seattle area. Yeah. All right, here we go, and boom, let's I think Seattle area should get you something, <gasps> right? Oh wait, we we got one. Is that a baby? It's a dog. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like a baby for it's, it's Melody. Oh, hi, Melody. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. You can't uh, look uh, without an account? Uh, no, it's uh, Melody. She's 22. Okay. Uh, she's from Victoria, B.C., Canadian. Nice. Very nice. nice. Yeah. Um, and Wait, she- is it legal up there? Lawbreaker. Lawbreaker. <laughs> Actually, shouldn't, like, if you search in our area, you'd think this is where the most would show up. Because this is, like, one of the few places where it's just full on legal. But no one knows about it. Lawbreaker. So we're, uh, by the way, you know, uh, now everybody knows about it. Uh, yeah. Cannabissingles.com. That's with yep. two S's. Yep. Yep. For for double the dose. Go sign up and then send us a link to your profile. Uh, Please. Guys don't need to apply, though. Uh, hey, Chase and I wanted to talk about an idea. You know, um, uh, so the Unfilter show is it's it's sponsored by our listeners, patreon.com slash unfilter. And we've been sliding backwards for a while, which is disappointing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so w- we would like but to make it happens. A, you know, sometimes during the holiday season, yeah. people need to cut back. And, and we actually picked one person up today. Oh, sweet. Uh, but uh, we would like to make a special pledge. Please go over there and support our show. Uh, but if you can't financially afford the show, this week 
was definitely one of those weeks where I was clipping so crazy. And the thing is, it's like I reject a whole bunch of stuff as the, as things move forward. You know, I was up all night the night of the uh, protest recording stuff. You know, thankfully, uh, listener Seth sent us in some clips too. If you can't support us financially, and you know, not everybody can, maybe consider clipping something, uploading it to YouTube, and then submit a link to our subreddit at unfilter.reddit.com. Yeah, and that and that's the, that's the coolest part is we got so many of you who decided to submit in stories about Ferguson and what's been going on over there. So thank you for that. I mean, a lot of you. Yeah. I mean, so great if you, stuff. If you've been wanting to help out but you can't financially do it, and we, if you can though, we really do need your support because this show still does run a cost for us. Yeah. Uh, but we would appreciate unfiltered.reddit.com. Submit your clips, or if you find a great one online, you can submit it there. Leave comments for any extra insights. All of that helps make this show better, especially when something really big like this happens. There's lots of different opinions, a lot of different data points, a lot of different news sources. So having the audience help us crowdsource some of that just makes this show better. Yep, and uh, it doesn't hurt to share it as well. Yeah, so absolutely. Put it, you know, post it to your Facebook. Yeah. Google Plus. Hey, and you know. something for the supporters. I'm not there yeah. yet. Before we go too far from that, I just want to mention I am working on what I'm going to call like link lists where I'll have I know I'm still experimenting internally, but I'm thinking maybe like towards the end of the week, I'm going to post like a supplemental post to our patrons that kind of yeah. gives them additional links that have occurred after the show that might not land in the next show. So there's going to be some more value coming to the uh, supporters page over at patreon.com slash filter. We've also got those BitTorrent syncs, three gigs worth of clips available wow. to our supporters That's in amazing. the sync folder. Almost two gigs of it in the overtime folder. Amazing. So much stuff. Viewer Seth's stuff is in there. There's a lot of good stuff in the wow. overtime folder. If you want to go deeper on any of this, or if you want any of this for your own historical purposes, this is like taking news clippings and saving them and looking back. You can keep this archive yep. and help us distribute that back up. If you're a supporter, you can get that BitTorrent sync key and pull it down to your rig. Chase! Yes, sir! If I wanted to keep up with you throughout the week, maybe in 140 characters. At Nunes on Twitter. N-U-N-E-S... You can find out what I'm doing, pinball, video games, doing Unfilter with Chris, all that fun jazz. Did you know Did you know that I uh, I set up an Unfilter? Or I mean, I set up a... Uh, you you do the Twitter thing? Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? Twitter.com slash Chris Williams. Well, I retweeted one of your tweets recently. Are you going to have a good turkey day tomorrow? I hope so. Are you going to have a good turkey oh, day? Oh, yeah. I got a pre-brined turkey and everything. I'm ready to rock. Everybody, check out GeekGamer.tv. That's where Chase does some of his other shenanigans, like that Minecraft me show that people like so yes, much. Yes, digging. You like Minecraft? You know somebody in your family that likes Minecraft over the turkey? Tell them about Minecraft me. Go to geekgamer.tv to Thanks, check buddy. that out. You bet. Yeah, Don't man. forget, you can also email us, unfilteredjupiterbroadcasting.com, unfilter.reddit.com. All right, we'll be back at our regular time. Yes. Have Live. a great TV Thanksgiving week. break, you guys. Spend loads of money on electronics you don't need, and we'll see you right back here next, next week. week. All right, Chase, we got to pick a title, and then I'm on break until Sunday. <laughs> yeah, nice. buddy, it's nice. It's a really long break for me. So head over to jbtitles.com. Quote, unquote, break, right? Yeah. Nah, uh-huh. We're going to be working a little bit, but you know, hey, I won't be doing a show. Hey, jbtitles.com. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm really, 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 uh, really, really biased towards mine because I wanted to save us time tonight. I've already made the show artwork. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the... Uh, what's the... Why Ferguson Burns. Uh, good one, good for me. You like that? Yep, I do too. Yep. I mean, there's all, but we got a lot of good one. Homicide, Hot House. Yeah, uh, you got have Ferguson in the in Cowboys there. versus Cavemen. Got to have nice it in there. pickup, Kits. That's a good because I made yes. it. That was a good pickup. Yes, very good. I love that kind of like taking something from the show and doing that. That is a good one. 
uh, Corporate Riot Factory. That's a good one, too. I know. There's some good ones this week. Media Racist Radicalized Rioters. <laughs> like it. This is a run for corporate Congress. No kidding, right? Packaged protests. Some good ones. Thank you. We have so much in the supporters' sync this week that if you are a supporter listening right now and you haven't gotten the sync yet, I really encourage it. I think there's some stuff in here that's going to be historical. I really do. Chris, I think we need to start a podcast. I know. Well, I, you know, if the if the patron things keep sliding backwards, maybe we should just pivot and just be like, okay, this is not what people want anymore, and maybe we'll just rebuild a pacho. Yeah, I, yeah, we, we need to talk about that because it's a... The, the one thing I, I you know... It'd be I, way I, less, um, you know, heavy. No, no, no. I know that. The one thing I, I worry about, honestly, is... And this is the sucky thing about pot discussion and talk is... Labeling, branding. Labeling, like branding. But not only that, but like for someone like me, who's employed at a company that doesn't want anything to do with it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's a it's weird a, it's thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's a weird that. thing. Oh, you know, so we've been talking about um, the uh, the oil prices. Oh, yeah. And uh, there is a big ass, like all of the big oil producers are getting together like next week. Oh. And OPEC ahead of the meeting has already signaled that they're not planning to decrease production. Now, what why that matters is because the market right now is kind of oversaturated with oil. It's one of the reasons the prices is going down. OPEC, if they were to dial back their production would by very nature reduce the amount of supply in the market yeah. and cause prices to go up. Right, supply and demand. Now, as long as prices are down like this, it is screwing Russia. Oh, yeah. Uh, Putin just did like this big press conference to try to reassure the Russian people that their, their economy is not going to like totally fall apart because yeah. the, Russia has been getting is making a ton of money off the price of oil. And so I think it's pretty telling still that OPEC has pre-signaled they don't have any intention of cutting back production even though it earns them less money. I think that's insane. Uh, anyways, that's in the supporter sync if you want to grab that. Uh, oh, my gosh. So, you know everybody who signed up for Obama's mailing list like when he was running for president? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, hacked? No, worse. Oh, what? So, it's 30 million strong on this mailing list. Right. They've set up a company that runs this mailing list because it's so valuable, and now they're renting out oh. access to the list for a lot of money. So, the Obama campaign list can be rented by anybody for use for any purposes. I'm shaking my head they right have it, now. They have it broken out under a new corporation, so that way a bunch of laws don't apply to them. Of course. And uh, that, the information about that is in the supporter sink. Uh, that gal whose shop was torn down, her interview, in the supporter sink. Good. Uh, yeah, lots of stuff in the supporter sink uh, today. Uh, did you hear about the woman who was, who was hanging up her laundry to dry and a sinkhole opened up in her backyard and swallowed her up? No. In the supporter sink. Wow. Yeah. Lots of good stuff in there. I know. There's there's a lot of value in there. I mean, I, I, I it's all stuff that could go on a show if we didn't have a bunch of other stuff to cover. Wow. It's, anyways, so are we going to go with that title? Cause yeah, absolutely. I think we should. And then we, yeah. can, we can make it home early. Why Ferguson Burns actually at the top, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Carl Rove will be the first buyer. <laughs> all right. So uh, since the uh, chat room was uh, polite enough to let me they, pick the title. They, they they get a win, but not only they get a win, Chris. But I I think we should give them uh, a, a tired kitty picture too. A what? Oh, that's nice. And you know what that uh, you know what that tired kitty thinks? That tired kitty thinks that maybe it's, she thinks this. She thinks maybe it's, she's dreaming about. She's this just thinking right maybe now. she has an opinion. Maybe yeah, it's she's thinking. Off laughing, this is what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs>
is sleepy. Yes. All right, it's time for us to get the F out of here. 124 in the can. We're heading off to the holiday weekend. I hope everybody stays safe if they're stupid enough to go out on the road like we might be. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if we go on the road, though, we're going on one highway. It's a straight shot and a straight shot back. Uh, Are you talking about the 420 highway? No, Highway 9. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, All right, everybody. Thank you very much. A big thank you to our supporters. You guys are keeping us on the air, and you're more important to us now than ever. Patreon.com slash unfilter. We love you. We love you so much. Good night. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Yeah.